Hello and welcome to Thriving in Intersectionality, a podcast created to help you learn from professionals in the workplace who have multiple intersectional identities, from ethnic minorities, veterans transitioning into the workforce, individuals with disabilities, parents, and so many more. My name is Lola Adeyemo. I am the CEO of EQI Mindset and the founder of the nonprofit Immigrants Incorporate Inc. I work with organizations to build inclusive workplaces. This podcast was built to amplify the voices of leaders and immigrants in the corporate workplace and to give insights and guidance so people can move past their barriers and advance in their professional careers. Through interviews and solo episodes, I'm going to examine this global world of work. I know that you can learn a thing or two from my guests who have a range of experiences and stories to share. Join me as we meet new people who are successfully navigating the corporate space. Welcome to another episode of Thriving in Intersectionality podcast. My guest today is Dumebi Ebuna. Dumebi is someone I've known for a short term, but I wanted to focus this conversation on her career path to where she is now. She's currently the co-founder of Chessy and the chief marketing officer. Chessy is a platform designed to empower ERG leaders and DEI teams to efficiently manage and grow their groups. Dumebi is driven by our own personal experience leading IBM's Black ERG, a career in sales, and she recognizes the profound impact ERGs have on both the experiences of minorities in the workplace and the success of the organization as a whole. As a Black woman, she is deeply passionate about amplifying the voices of underrepresented people, particularly in traditionally inaccessible spaces like higher education and corporate America. Who maybe holds a Bachelor of Business Administration from Embry University. And beyond her work at Chessy, she enjoys learning about interior design, exploring Chicago's diverse food scene, and spending time with loved ones. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Thriving in Intersectionality podcast. Um, I'm excited for this conversation today for so many reasons, uh, partly because I've known Dumebi or I've been following um, <laughs> our current path uh, as a founder recently, but also because this episode is kind of that transition of Black History slash Women History Month, and I think, you know, um, my guest today really... Uh, highlight a lot of the the lessons, the insights from those two parts. And I will let us start with that definition or that identity category that you identify with to maybe. So can you introduce yourself and share with us what are the words, what are the key identity categories that you will use to describe your, your own intersections? Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me on the podcast. So I am Dumebi Igbuna. I am the co-founder of Chessy. We are an ERG management platform built exclusively for DEI teams and ERG leaders to streamline their workflows and then demonstrate impact. So my identities, I would say first generation Nigerian immigrant. I'm a woman. Um, I am a sibling, a sister, a daughter, a girlfriend, a founder, an entrepreneur, 
Yeah, absolutely. All of that, all of that. And and if you, if some of those words resonate with people that are listening, um, I think it's also one of the things that we we often hear about. It's it's good to give somebody a chance to introduce themselves with that because sometimes we only see the physical aspect and we make all the decisions about the person uh, from that perception, uh, from that perspective. So uh, thank you for being here today. Um, let's get into the career piece. Uh, you know, you talked a little bit about Chessy and your the company that you co-founded and, and that we'll dive into in a minute, but can you walk us back to your career um, as you know, what did you study? What choices have you made along the way? I'd love to learn about your journey and your background. Sure. Um, so I immigrated to the U.S., specifically North Carolina, when I was two. Um, so I grew up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina with my family. So my mom, dad, my three siblings um, and grew up in a kind of a white suburb. So I was very used to, you know, being the only black woman or black person in the room. I think that was my first um, time being aware of different different demographics and like how I kind of fit into the society. Uh, but growing up, I played basketball. Um, so I actually ended up going to play basketball post high school at Emory University in Atlanta. Wait, okay. So I'm going to pause and ask because I've actually never met you in person. How tall are you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm six feet. Oh, you are? Okay. <laughs> I never have because I've I've only met you on Zoom or in a virtual platform. That's interesting. Yeah, I am six feet. My brother, who's my co-founder, is six four. So we are. Oh tall. wow! So if I had walked into both of you, I would not have been prepared for that. <laughs> I don't think anyone anyone is usually. Whenever I meet people off of like LinkedIn, they're like, "Oh wow, you're a lot taller or bigger than I." Um, but yeah, so I played, I ended up playing basketball at Emory for two years. Um, and while I was there, I studied business. So I got a BBA, um, concentrating in strategic marketing and consulting. Um, and during my time at Emory, I had a couple of internships too. So I interned in like a PR agency. I interned at like a strategic marketing intern or intern, sorry, strategic marketing, like consultancy. Um, and then my final internship the summer before my senior year was at IBM, um, so I interned in like a sales capacity at IBM and eventually took like the full-time offer. Um, so I went into working with like channel sales at IBM. So I was working directly with our business partners. Um, and that was my introduction to sales, but also my introduction into DEI because I eventually started uh, the black ERG for the Chicago office. So that was like my introduction into both of my career paths. Now that I'm at Chessy, um, I do lead our sales and marketing efforts. And then obviously we work really closely with ERGs. So um, IBM was definitely a good like gateway into where I was now or where I am now. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so you said you studied business, but your internship were specifically around PR and sales? PR, strategic marketing, um, and then ultimately sales at IBM, yeah. Okay. So would you say the opportunities that you were exposed to during your internship helped shape your uh, path? Or how did you, did you pick the internship positions? Yeah. Or did it pick you? I did. <laughs> I did. So I was very set on studying business when I got to Emory. It was just a matter of like, what was I going to do with that? degree. Um, and I knew marketing interested me just because I've always been super creative. Um, I actually originally wanted to go into like fashion and fashion design. Um, so I was, but my parents were like, you need to study like 
business or finance or something first and then going to fashion. So, um, so I was pursuing marketing, just wanted to see like what PR or strategic marketing was about. I did like those positions, but I just felt like, um, I don't know. It wasn't something that I could see myself doing long-term. Um, and then I got the internship at IBM um, and sales wasn't even something that I had considered previously. Um, but I think through that internship, it kind of brought in my horizons in terms of there are so many different opportunities within sales. It's not just the, you know, sleazy car dealership or that you, you know, <laughs> that you think about it's like tech sales, I think it's become a really like hot thing to do. Um, so yeah, I, I got that experience coming out of school. I was at IBM for four years, primarily again, working through like our business partners and in the channel. Um, and I, I loved that experience. Honestly, I think that was a great uh, starting point to my career. Yeah. And, and when you said, you know, sales, what we know about sales, it just reminds me again, we know as much as we know. Um, And there's so many more roles and career opportunities that you never really find out until you try different things or you get into workplace. I mean, I have people asking me now when college, like, I want to study this. What can I? I'm like, just get out with something. (laughs) I think the best thing you can do is like do a couple of internships. Um, And obviously I was like privileged enough to do some that were like unpaid, but it just gave me the exposure I think I needed to make a decision on like what I actually wanted to pursue. Because yeah, I went into it thinking like, oh, marketing would be for me. And then I ended up doing it. And I was like, I don't know if this is for me. And then obviously sales was never on my radar. I ended up doing it and was like, oh, I love this. So I think just having the exposure to all different paths or career paths is, is really helpful. Yeah, I know. And, and, and you touched on something that is also important because it's not just being exposed so that you would see what you love. It's being exposed so you see what you don't love. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Sometimes I I personally was somebody that just always used to think, oh, I'm very strategic, yep. you know, a strategy department. Yeah. And until I was mentored by somebody within that department and I got to understand what organizations and their strategy department really do. And I was like, that's not really what I thought it was. <laughs> exactly. Like I, I always thought of marketing, particularly PR, um, as something that's super glamorous. Like you're going to the events, you're going to the openings and things like that. And it was a lot of writing. It was a lot of um, like administrative work a lot of times in terms of event planning and stuff. And I was like, I don't necessarily know if that's something that I want to be doing. And I wouldn't have known that unless I had done, taken that internship. So I, I was grateful for the opportunity, but um, definitely ended up not seeing that it wasn't for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I think, you know, the curiosity is always good. There's no yep. learning that we have that is ever wasted. You know, mm-hmm. you find out you don't want to do it long-term, but that knowledge stays with you. The knowledge yep. that you gain um, doing that internship is always, um, a great experience, any opportunity to get inside knowledge of an organization, a process, you're learning about it. Um, so tell us now about the transitions. Mm-hmm. I mean, did it take a while? Did you know right off you were interested in entrepreneurship? I know a lot of people listening might be wondering, how do I even know if that's something I want to pursue? I mean, yeah. I know entrepreneurship looks glamorous, um, but people only see like the yeah, end. <laughs> end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, 
Yeah. So in terms of starting Chessy, uh, we founded Chessy in June of 2020. So it's me and my brother. Um, at that time, I was still at IBM. I was, again, leading the Black ERG at IBM uh, for the Chicago office. My brother was doing a similar thing. Um, he was leading the Black ERG at Accenture. Um, it was actually in the middle of a job search. Um and he was looking to get into DEI more as like a full-time role. So um, we kind of came together to share our experiences, talk about like our experiences, like black people in the workplace, talk about his experience trying to find a job as a black man and trying to um, find people within his network that might have experience at the companies that he was looking at. So we came together and then we came up with the idea for Diversify, which is our first company um, that was essentially a glass door for minorities. So a job review platform um, with each review being tied to a specific ad- identity. So I could essentially filter a job review for people who identified similarly to me. So if I wanted to see what it would be like to be a black woman age, you know, 25 to 30 living in Chicago um, that works at Facebook, I could filter the reviews and kind of see it from that granular of a level. So that was the first thing that we launched in June of 2020. And I love the idea still, but it just didn't scale. No, I was going to say, I think- what happened to that? <laughs> Well, one Glassdoor does it now. So now I'm like, oh, it was a good idea. Um, But Glassdoor just had a really firm hold on the market. It was really hard to get people to like organically submit reviews. Like we were actually like calling up our friends to be like, hey, let me interview you to get your review. Um, So it was hard to just kind of like drive organic traffic. So we did that for about a year and a half. We were realizing that it wasn't growing at the rate that we wanted to see it grow. Um, so we kind of went back to the drawing board. We talked to some people in our in our network. Um, and originally we were going to pivot to like a DEI management software, just something that would help you track and project manage your DEI efforts. Um, and as we talked to people in our network, no one was super excited about it. And then we ended up having a conversation with Peloton and our contact there mentioned that like, oh, like a DEI management software isn't something that's necessarily on our radar, but we would love something to help us manage our employee resource groups. So we took that to heart. We started to have more conversations with those same people we had previously told about like the DEI management software to be like, hey, is this something you would be interested in? Um, And we got really good feedback. Um, So that was probably the summer of 2021. And then by October of 2021, we had our first customer who was checked. And you were still employed? I was still employed. Yeah. This whole time I didn't go full time on Chessy until last July. So July of 2023. No, July of 2022. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Time flies. Yeah. I was like, wait, I've definitely been full time for more than a year, but yeah, it took me um, like two and a half years before I went full time on Chessy. Toby, I think he went full time in around like October of 2021. So when we had our first um, customer. Yeah. And Toby's your brother, co-founder. I just wanted to get that clear. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, because I want to ask a question about that. So I have conversations around founding and uh, finding an organization, starting a new organization with women. Yeah. And I have to say, you know, women, men, maybe a little bit of... Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it's a gender thing or it's just your risk level. What, what do you think? Was there differences in the way you approached it um, or did you kind of just balance yourself out? Yeah, I think it was more, it wasn't necessarily a gender thing. It was more of an age thing. Um, so Toby is two and a half years older than me. So he had been working for more time than me. 
Um, so he had, you know, a good savings, a good 401k, a good, you know, it just felt like he had a lot more to kind of fall back on for lack of a better word or lack of a better phrase. So when it came to making the leap to full time, like he felt like he was in a financial position um, or a stable enough position to do so a little bit earlier than I was. Like I, I knew I had honestly just like some financial goals that I wanted to hit before I felt comfortable leaving um, my full time job. Um, and that just meant staying for, you know, an extra six months or seven months from when he initially left his job. So. No, and I, and I think that's good insight because, again, we, in the last couple of years, a lot of people have really been exploring um, entrepreneurship. And yeah. Some people still love what they do and maybe trying to figure out when is the right time for me yeah. to make a move. Uh, what can I do without quitting completely? Yeah. And I think there's so much opportunity for, you know, your nine to five to fund the stuff that you're working on from five to nine, you know what I mean? And I wouldn't necessarily leave my full-time position until one, we had a way that we were having steady income. Like at that point we were, um, we had at least like one new contract a month. So it was like, oh, this, there's a real growth potential here. Um, two, the idea was fully validated. Like we had talked to enough people that were like, this makes a lot of sense. You should pursue this. I would buy this type of thing. Um, and then three, again, like I was in a financial position to where it made sense for me personally. Um, I think those are some of the things that you have to consider before you make the jump. Cause I think there is a lot of this narrative of like, you know, jump, dive headfirst in and like, you know, and I, that's good advice in terms of like getting started. Like, I, I don't think you should like just sit on an idea. I think you should go after it and, you know, start somehow, some way. I just think when it comes to leaving a secure full-time position and then moving into entrepreneurship, there are some things to consider before doing so. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, and I think that's it because everybody's story and situation will be different. Yeah you have to make a decision like your idea can be valid and the timing might be maybe slower yeah um but you know bills still need to be paid um yeah. mm -hmm. if you do have a means of paying the bills then yeah exactly yeah you transition from a full-time position studying business um to being a founder a tech founder i mean yeah. not just a founder tech founder mm -hmm. <laughs> which is two different things, yeah. um, I would say. Tell us about maybe some of the challenges that you've had along the way, um, just personally, um, not, not even your business, right? The realities of being a founder and the realities of um, living a full-time job, right? Like, what is it like? What should people be thinking about? So whenever I went full-time, I my official title is CMO, so I handle both marketing and sales. Um, and a lot of that, you know, I could rely on my past experience, but there is definitely a learning curve. Like, I've never led sales strategy. I've never led marketing strategy. So there's just a lot of, like, oh, shit, I don't know everything that there is to know. Like, how do I just, like, try and guzzle up as much information as I can? So that was just, uh, I think that just comes naturally. Like when you pursue something full time, there's so much that you don't know. So you have to just make sure that you're dedicating time to, there's a lot of doing, but there's also a lot of like, let me get the skills and gain the skills and learn uh, in order to do. So that was just something that I, I'm now aware of. I think too, just like imposter syndrome, I think <laughs> um, 
especially you just mentioned like there's a big difference between like entrepreneurship and like tech entrepreneurship like it's just a completely different space even though I came from IBM I wasn't necessarily ingrained in the technology in a way that I am now so I think there it just came with a lot of like am I supposed to be doing this like am I qualified to do this and do I know enough to do this and that's still something that I I think I am working through I've definitely gotten better because I've seen the growth that we've had over the last two years and I'm like oh I am doing this you know but I think sometimes there are those moments where it's like oh Hmm. Like, <laughs> am I, you know, am I, am I the right one to be doing this? And I, I just try and lean on like, God wouldn't have put me here if I wasn't the right one to do this. So lean back on that. And then I think three, it's not as linear um, as a normal career path. Like I think when you work for a big corporation, there's like, oh, every year and a half, I'm having a conversation with my manager to get promoted. I'm getting a raise. I have like a set paycheck. I'm, you know, it's just very... I need to check off these boxes and then I get to the next step. I need to check off these boxes. I get to the next step. I think with entrepreneurship, um, there's not as much clarity in like what's going to work and what's not going to work. Um, and that comes with its own challenges in terms of like, you can feel like you're doing so much, but the reward isn't as, as great or you, it just feels like, Oh, it's working. You know, like it's just, it's not as, it's not as linear. It's not as like carved out as a traditional path, which can be uh, a little bit daunting. Yeah. And, and, and again, you know, there are certain things that would lead you to pivot. So you talk about starting something and then you pivot to something else. So talk about, uh, talk a little bit about that season of realizing we need to make a change. Yeah. Uh, but we still got some great insight from this first one. And this is, if we had not gotten the first one, we wouldn't have been where we are. I think if you're going to pursue entrepreneurship, you have to be open to pivoting. You have to be open to failing. Because a lot of times when I'm saying like stuff isn't linear, it is just like throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks and some things aren't going to work. Some things are going to work. You just have to like gather the things that are working and keep it pushing. So that's just something to be aware of. I, I think in terms of making the, the decision to pivot, we just saw after a while that that first idea wasn't doing what we thought it was going to do. It was, it was just really hard to grow organically in the way that we expected or anticipated. And not saying that it's not hard currently. I just think there's just a much clearer path of like, this is how we can grow. Whereas with that idea, it was just like, I don't know what what we're doing wrong. <laughs> so yeah, I just think, I mean, if you're going to step into this space, you have to be ready to fail and fail yeah. air quotes for those who are just listening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so let's talk about funding. Just because I, I know there is, you know, a huge part of people's decision around quitting yeah. and starting a business or starting a business as a side gig is really tied to money. So as a founder in the tech space, uh, knowing as a consultant myself, knowing there's a difference between being a founder in consulting or being a yeah. founder with a tech product, um, do you want to share some insights for people around funding? Yeah. What to what to focus on as far as funding direction. Yeah, I think the biggest piece of advice is just like know the different avenues in which you can bring in money. There's, you know, obviously debt financing, there's grants, there's traditional VC funding. Like you just got to figure out what what is going to work for you. Um, for us, we were bootstrapped for the first like year and a half. Um, so that means we didn't bring in any like uh, dilutive funding. So VC funding, we didn't take on any debt. We actually 
got a good amount of money through grants. And that was at a time where companies were pouring a lot of money into Black founders, Black women. It was in 2020, 2021, um, if you can imagine. So we were able to bring in a good amount of money from there. Uh, With that money, we were able to build out like our MVP or minimal viable product. And then once we, you know, secured, I think our first five, six, seven customers from there, we went the traditional route and raised our pre-seed. So in... January of 2023, let's say January, February, 2023, um, we raised our pre-seed round. Um, and at that time that was, that came through traditional, uh, funding. So and let me break it down a little bit for those of us that are in <laughs> not the founding tech. Again, I, I think what the baby is describing is a lot of us get rid of our idea because we just absolutely think that we don't have money to do it. I mean, there are different funding opportunities. Sometimes we look at investor route and we could talk all day also about uh, investor route for women and the opportunities for women, for black people. Uh, Sometimes that might not be a lot, but there's a lot you can do with grants. Grants are basically free money that you don't have to give back and give a percentage of your company. Um, And getting started with all of that first and proving your product and yeah. your go-to-market strategy, I think, is 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 really what you are describing. Is people can we can do it. Um, yeah. I think the most critical part of that is uh, validating your idea. Yeah, yeah. I think you need to get to a place before you talk to investors, um, before you try and get those meetings, because that eats up a lot of time. I think you need to be in a place to where obviously you don't need to have everything flushed out because you're going to be raising a pre-seed round. Those a lot of times are like just in the idea stage. But I think you do need to be at a point where you have a clear, this is the vision of what this can be. We have some early traction. Um, We have some people who are committed to helping us along the way. Um, You want to get in on this journey now, as opposed to later on down the line. Um, So you have to be able to tell that story. And for us, we were able to get to that place with like the funding from the grants and different things. So, so you're in a unique position. You kind of have corporate America work experience working inside. And then now you are actually, you own a business where you are supporting ERGs and uh, workplace groups. So I think you are the perfect person to kind of give us insights for those that are listening that are maybe still working inside. What is the current climate like for jobs and uh, what can people be doing now who know that I just want to advance in corporate America or I want to start my own business at some point? What should they be doing now? What are some of those things that you did um, that has helped you? Obviously, we are in the tech space, so we're seeing a lot of layoffs, unfortunately. Um, So it's a really competitive market right now, particularly for the space that I'm in. But I would say one is just like make sure you grow your network. I know that sounds cliche, but a a lot of opportunities come from just like the people that you know. Um, If you have an opportunity to do like coffee chats with people, if you're able to go to networking events in your city or region, like I highly recommend putting yourself out there in that way because you never know where you can use those relationships um, kind of further down the line. Um, I would say if you're already kind of in the corporate setting, something that I always did was to like at the beginning of the year, sit down with my manager and say like, this is the goal that I have for this year. 
just kind of let them know what you plan on doing, but then asking them like, what do I need to achieve in order to get to that next level of success? Um, so at IBM, there was a pretty set like raise ladder. So you had to like mark off certain things in order to get to that next pay level. Um, so at the beginning of the year or whenever I switched to a new manager, um, I would always have a conversation of like, what are the things that I need to do in order to get to that next level from a pay perspective? And even if you don't have a traditional like pay ladder at your company or it's not as linear, I'd still recommend sitting down with your manager or leadership team and just saying like, what are, where can I go in this position and what do I need to do to get where I want to go? And I think just that le- level of transparency with your manager allows them to know that like, oh, she is serious about you know, progression here. And they have something to like look out for as you kind of go throughout the year. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you for that. So I'm going to pivot to something else uh, because again, I'm the founder of EQI Mindset and I call that ERG consulting, ERG support. And this is more of like a one-on-one personalized support for companies. Chesi is one of the top, only few, um, ERG tech platforms in the space. So I think it's only appropriate that we talk about these because every time I get into conversation with professionals who don't know what ERGs are or who have not taken advantage of it in their companies, it's almost like this hole that I keep trying to shed light on for people. So let's talk about employee resource groups. Um, so maybe we'll start with you telling us what is Chesi. And um, what do you do with your clients? Yeah, so we are a management platform for employee resource groups from an employee perspective or like member perspective. We provide a one-stop shop for employees to learn about and engage in the ERGs. But I think our main like value actually comes to DEI teams and ERG leaders because a lot of times these folks, especially ERG leaders, are doing this on top of their nine to five in terms of creating different events and doing the programming and working with the CSR and workplace experience teams to put on different things. So we really want to streamline the administrative effort for those folks as well as give them the data they need to be able to demonstrate impact. Uh, to senior leaders. I guess going back in terms of what is an ERG, <laughs> I don't know if that was part of the question. No, I mean, no, anything we can shed light on. Because I think when you work with ERGs so much, you forget that not every company has ERGs and not everybody knows what it is. So maybe start from there. Sure. So employee resource groups are identity-based, employee-led uh, groups meant to foster diversity and inclusion in the workplace. So think of like Facebook. They have a women's at... Facebook ERG, um, a black at Facebook women or black at Facebook ERG. So they're meant to be, you know, these hubs of community for underrepresented employees and their allies. And and I, you know, identity based, we talk about identity based, we talk about what identities, what keywords mean to us. It's on on um what's the word I'm looking for? Not under underrepresented, but also yeah. unheard is another word I've been trying to use for ERGs. Uh, because the the resistance some organizations have to starting groups like working parents group is like mm-hmm. working parents are not underrepresented. Yeah. So it doesn't fit into our definition. Yeah. And again, this is where we are getting into the nitty-gritty for each company. What group are you not hearing from that is represented a lot or maybe not represented enough? Um, so what are you seeing a shift or in uh, the groups that are being created? Are you seeing some differences? Yeah, I, I, I think traditionally ERGs have been more so um, 
race or gender based, um, maybe even sexual orientation. They're typically like pride ERGs, but definitely seeing an introduction of like generations ERGs. So those who are um, older in the workplace, young professionals, those who are younger, working parents, moms, sustainability, veterans, like those are some of the groups that we're, we're definitely seeing. Now we're even seeing like faith based ERGs, which is a sometimes a controversial topic, but yeah. um, definitely, <laughs> definitely seeing an introduction of ERGs that are kind of outside of the realm of, you know, gender and ethnicity or race. But I think to your point around like unheard groups, a lot of times these groups can be used as almost like focus groups for employee benefits or HR teams, just so they can take their company policies and have conversations with these folks and get their buy-in or their feedback. So the more I guess, granular these ERGs are, maybe even like just touching all potential identities, I think the better for that type of function uh, for a group. Yeah. And for those listening, okay, this is all not prepped. So I'm just going to expose that to maybe now because I know the area where she works um, because there's also something else I wanted to ask because um, we work in the DEI space and we know there's all this backlash against the term DEI. I don't know if it's the phrase or the work. I mean, those that are doing the work are still doing the work regardless of what we choose to call it. But what I wanted to ask is, who, who is your, who brings you in? Who brings Chessie in? Mm, okay. Who is your client? You know, because I know ERG leaders, the people that are doing ERG work, they are passionate about this. There's no question about that. But they don't have the funds. Yeah. So who, who, is, the, who is the person within an organization that usually approaches you yeah. or that you approach? Yeah, it's, it's typically the head of DEI, um, chief diversity officer, maybe even chief people officer, or if they have like an ERG program manager, um, that's like a great, you know, title for us to kind of go after. But typically they are on the DEI team. They own the DEI budget that feeds into the ERGs. And, and I think that's, that's so interesting. It's kind of why the conversations around ERGs needs to be very targeted uh, to different groups within the workplace because as you said the people that will pay and bring Chessie in have to know that this is a huge um, this is going to fill a big gap for their yeah. employees now the people that will enjoy using it <laughs> um, starts with the ERG leaders right yeah. the members they will find so much relief having a platform that simplifies their work right. and also helps them to show the data Right. to leaders, right? Um, but it can be a huge um, step to get buy-in from the people that, that really matter. So, um, yeah, so again, doing a, a, a quick plug, if you are not aware of ERGs, or if you have ERGs and you, haven't, you are beginning to get to that point where you recognize the work and you are looking for a way to simplify it, um, definitely check out Chessy. Um Amazing platform. I, I recommend it all the time. So now let's talk to individuals. Sure. Um, uh, because I think you and I mentioned it just now. People that, how can early mid-career professionals leverage ERGs um, to advance in their corporate yeah. career? Yeah. I mean, something that I mentioned earlier was just like the power of networking. Um, I think ERGs are kind of built in networks, especially for people who look like us or come from underrepresented groups. So I would leverage your ERGs, get involved and see, you know, maybe there are people who have pursued the career path that you're looking to pursue. Maybe there are senior leaders in the company that act as executive sponsors or kind of support that ERG. Um, I think it's a really good 
way to network and find like identity folks within your organization, but also a good way to network and find people who have career paths that you might want to pursue. ERGs often also do a lot of like the mentoring programming for organizations. So you, I would also look into that to see if your ERGs offer that type of support. And then I think just even if you want to be an ERG leader, I think a lot of times when people are up for promotion, we are, you're manager is looking for the folks that are most engaged in the organization on top of those who are doing good at their job. <laughs> um, so I would also think or say that that is a good leadership development opportunity just to kind of stand out and get like some extracurriculars as you pursue kind of kind of climbing up the corporate ladder. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you did mention that yourself and your brother, your co-founder, that you were both part of ERGs within the yeah. organization. Would you say the E, well, I, I know they did. I want to ask directly, though, how would you say your ERG experience helped you when you were in corporate America? Yeah, I think it was a network for me. Um, I was working in a pretty small, compared to like how big IBM is, a pretty small part of the organization. So this helped me to kind of branch out and meet people who were in different functions than I was, even if we were all working in sales. Again, I was working in like channel sales and with our business partners. There's a whole other, you know, outside or client facing sales team at IBM that I didn't necessarily interact with all that much. So I think even just for the ERG, it was it was helpful for me to meet people who were pursuing different opportunities in the same sales function, just in case I wanted to, you know, switch over and see what else was out there. And for me, honestly, I had just moved to Chicago when I took the role of like the Black ERG leader for the Chicago office. So it was also just a way to like meet Black people in Chicago, honestly. And that and that turned out to be um, probably the biggest highlight for me was just like some of my friends I still have today are from the Black ERG. Black ERG. That's awesome. Oh, I had another question that's related to you and your co-founder because I think I was going to ask it when I was um, when you were talking about moving, making that move from corporate yeah. to entrepreneurship, um, because I think that's also finding the right partner, mm. right? Because I mean, how would you say having that complementary skill set helped you? I mean, regardless of is your brother or not, yeah. I, I feel like. Did you have the same skill sets? Did you complement each other or what were some I of the- complement each other very well. Um, so I obviously handle like sales and marketing. Toby came from strategic consulting. He was at Accenture. So he is very good at like the operational CEO visionary stuff. Um, so I think from those perspectives, we complement each other really well. And then obviously we've brought in like software engineers and those who have a more technical focus. Um, so we really like now have a really balanced team. So I do think that's important. I do think that um, having people from various backgrounds um, and have and bring different perspectives is super important on this journey. And yeah, it's been it's been good so far. I think that's something that allows me to be able to work with Toby is that we don't necessarily get into each other's area all that much. It's it's more so we have our lanes and we can support where we can, but um, we typically can stick to our lanes. I love it. Yeah, I love it because I think I think a lot of startups, a lot of companies where they fail is everybody wanting to be strategic yeah. and CEO, not recognizing yeah. that you need sales, you need tech, right? Yeah. Especially if you're in a tech founder. So just being able to balance that. And 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 the key piece of it for you is also most people don't think 
of tech, founding a tech company that you have to be like an engineer. Like that tech is not necessarily the most important skill right off the bat. Yeah. Right. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. Um, I think something that whenever we were fundraising, something that kept coming up is that we don't have a technical co-founder or technical founder. So I do think it's something that VCs will look for. But again, we also were at a point where we had traction, we had a good story to tell to where that could balance it out. But I do think it, I think it's possible to pursue like founding a tech startup without having a technical background. You just need to know where your skill set ends and you need to bring someone else in. Um, so for us with our MVP, it was built on Bubble, which is like a low code, no code solution. Um, so Toby was able to build out that MVP. But then once we started to transition to more advanced features or we're now kind of building like a full stack version, like we brought in software engineers and we were like, you can take over um, that piece of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. This has yeah. been helpful. I love chatting with you. I have chatted with you. Uh, before. So I'm kind of thinking when I'm talking, when I'm navigating and steering this conversation for the people listening, because I kind of want to bring out your personal journey and, and the choices and the decisions that come with these. And, and just um, you are such an inspiration, encouragement to those that are thinking around all of these, you know, we can do it. We just have to understand and talk to and, and, and learn from uh, people that are doing it. So thank you for coming on and, and yeah, sharing with us. Me. Oh, you know what I forgot to ask you? What does Chessy mean? Yes. Um, so we are Evo. Uh, so Chessy is the Evo word for reflect. Reflect. Yes. yes. <laughs> and that's, that's important because when you talk about ERGs, I mean, ERG leaders can just do and do and do and do. If you have no way to look at everything you're doing, um, it's not helping to make systemic changes down the road. Mm -hmm. So I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. All right. Um, let's go with the final question around something fun. Food. <laughs> food is something that brings us all together. And I'm hoping, yes, from now after, I don't know, hundreds of episodes, I can do a snapshot of all of the food <laughs> that I talked about. But if you were to share a meal, a snack, a fruit with your coworkers, what would it be and why did you choose that? Yeah, it would be my mom's jollof rice, um, which is like a traditional Nigerian dish. Um, she also True makes Nigerian. <laughs> she makes really good like chicken stew with plantains, and then like a side of like spinach. It's so good. Um, so that would probably be the meal that I share. Oh my gosh, that is so good! Thank you so much for sharing. And when I come to Chicago, I'll come have some jollof rice. Yeah, <laughs> like wait. Mom's own, not mine. <laughs> I was going to say, my mom would have to be here, but yes. <laughs> uh, thank you. It was so nice chatting with you. Thank you for joining us. Again, yeah. check out um, Chessy platform. If you are thinking about ERGs, check out ERGs. Mm -hmm. If you are working corporate and, and follow Dumevi on uh, social platforms. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me, Lola Adeyemo, for these important conversations about the global world of work. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share our weekly episodes with your communities and co-workers. For more resources and upcoming events, visit our website, www.thrivinginintersectionality.com and join our LinkedIn group, Thriving in Intersectionality. 
additional links and resources are listed in the show notes of this episode. Thank you.